Recently, the In Good Faith team worked with Elizabeth Clark and Sherry Rogdy from the BYU Law School to create two panels for the annual Religious Freedom Review. We invited podcast hosts from Americanish, Three Black Men, and Mommying While Muslim to join us at the conference and discuss how podcasting creates religious community. What you'll hear next is Steve's panel in the morning of the review. We've cleaned up the audio and removed some of the bumps and clangs of the microphone, but otherwise we have not edited so we can preserve the nature of this experience. Thanks to Adela Kohab, Trey Ferguson, Sam Gay, Robert Monson, Usma Jaffrey, and Zeba Hassan for participating, and thanks to Chris Garcia and Blythe Shoup for coordinating sound at the conference. Introductions. Adela Kohab, sitting right by me, is the co-host of a great podcast called Americanish. She's a Jewish activist and JD candidate at Yeshiva University's Benjamin Cardozo School of Law. And in 2019, she sued NYU for failing to protect its Jewish community from discrimination and harassment. Her case concluded in the first Title VI settlement, openly addressing anti-Semitism as a form of discrimination helping prompt the executive order to officially include Judaism as a protected class under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. That was a big deal. She is proudly a Syrian-Lebanese Jew. Take a minute, put all of those together. Born in Mexico City, add that to the equation, and raised in Deal, New Jersey. So Adela, thank you very much for being with us. And I should mention that her co-host has moved away from New York City, and you have a new podcast called... Hyphenated, where I interview guests from hyphenated backgrounds like myself. Great. All right. Next is Pastor Trey Ferguson. He is one of the hosts of Three Black Men. Trey Ferguson is a Miami-Dade County-based minister, a writer, and podcaster whose passions include the three J's jokes, justice, and Jesus. He's the creator of New Living Translation, a podcast that retells and relates scripture in a modern vernacular, and a co-host of Three Black Men, where he muses on theology and culture with Sam Gay, Robert Monson, who are here with us and will be in part two of, uh, coming up later this afternoon, and have promised to not raz their co-host. Have you removed expeditiously he is the author of the forthcoming Theologizing Bigger with Lake Drive books. He writes and publishes regularly in his newsletter, The Sun Do Move. When he's not creating content, he can be found annoying his wife, Jessica, and their three children with his childlike sense of humor. Down at the end is Dr. Uzma Jaffrey. She's the co-host of Mommying While Muslim. And my biggest question for these two hosts, which may come up later today, is how on earth do you have time to do a podcast with all the rest you're doing? This is one of the mysteries we want to know. She was raised in Houston, Texas, the daughter of Muslim immigrants from Pakistan and India. Her primary job is mothering her four children, but the one that pays is as a solo physician running her own medical practices. She's also medical director of an assisted living and hospice agency and serves as graduate medical faculty training future physicians. She volunteers with multiple organizations supporting refugees, and her favorite pet project is the biannual Refugee Baby Shower she coordinates with her team at Gathering Humanity. So uh, I forgot to applaud Trey, but let's uh, all of our guests. <laughs>
Uh, we will do our best to leave some time for question and answer at the end. Some of you are here because of the community building aspect. Some of you are here because, gosh, I think I want to do a podcast, how I do that. Whatever it might be, we're so grateful that you're here, and I hope you'll feel free to ask questions at the end. So podcasting in a religious community is really interesting because you can create a community that's not just right where you live, as most for centuries, religious communities have been. So I'm going to be curious to explore how you feel. Did you build the community you thought? Are you surprised by who they are? Or also motivations, you know, like why do this podcast in the first place? We'll discuss how ethnic and racial minorities who identify as religious can use podcasts to create community among those all over the country and podcasting works outside of formal institutions, even though we're here at a university. In fact, podcasts sometimes become institutions. And some of you who are big, big podcast listeners know that already. Whether it's scriptural analysis, lifestyle tips, or how-tos to negotiating current events from a religious perspective or finding psychological support, you know, finding your people, You've had that experience when, when you just meet someone. And sometimes this can happen with podcasts over long distances. So I'd like to jump right in and ask each of you for a moment, what was the need that you saw that thought, I should do this podcast? Adela, if you want to come first there. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Again, it's an honor to be here. And, and thank you again for having me. Um, so my name's Adela, and again, I'm a Syrian, Lebanese, Mexican Jew, which is a lot of things. And I went to NYU, which is a lot of things but religious. So um, growing up in a religious community, I always knew Judaism would be part of who I was, but it wasn't who I would be in college. And ultimately, uh, once I got to college, I, I realized that I have a superpower in having a religious community. And when I met my co-host, Mariam, who couldn't be here today, uh, she actually moved to D.C. She started a new job. Um, my friend called me, a mutual friend, and she said, I just met someone who is you but different. And I said, what do you mean? So we met for lunch. We showed up wearing the same outfit in different colors. And she is a Coptic Egyptian Christian. And she is, like me, a Middle Eastern woman. We both immigrated to the U.S. when we were young. We're both women of faith that are traditional and love and respect our traditions. And at the same time, we were building modern lives in New York. She was at Fordham. I was at NYU. And when we met for lunch, we were there for about three hours and we touched everything. We were talking about the Ottoman Empire and we were talking, but mainly we realized that when we were in the outside world and we would say things like, oh, I don't go out Friday nights. Or she would say, I love brunch, can't do Sunday mornings, I have to go to church. People would look at us as backwards or they would look at us as, as, as holding back, anti-modern, which is really not what we were. And uh, we decided to start a podcast together. And we didn't really know each other before. So a lot of the learning about each other's communities happened on screen. Um, we do, we are a podcast. We're also a visual podcast. So you can watch our videos on YouTube. Um, but we learned about each other, about each other's traditions. And then we started getting the social media reactions. We started getting people who are, you know, Orthodox Christians from Greece, people who are uh, Muslim, Hindu, saying like, oh my God, me too. Or I had the same experience. We would talk about our moms, right? And people would say, oh, my mom's the same way. We would talk about, you know, conflicting religious values with modern values. And we built that community. We built that out. We realized we're all American, but we're American-ish because we always love and respect our traditions that might have not come from this country itself. 
And there really was a market for that. There was an audience for that. And I got to be very lucky to now expand that into Hyphenated, which is my newer podcast, where I interview people from all these other backgrounds too. So what Mariam and I built with Americanish, I want to take to other communities so they can share and learn too. It, one of my favorite things about the podcast is that learning and surprising each other yes. on the air, like saying, here's our topic. Do you have something to say? Yes. Not going to talk about to the air. My favorite moment was was your host talking about when she got her birth tattoo. Yeah. And Adele was like, wait, wait, people tattoo babies? Anyway, you should listen to the podcast and learn there is a really great story there. So, Trey, go ahead. Yeah, perfect. I'll keep the question for you. What what was the need that you saw yeah, that you wanted to do the podcast? And as far as what community have you connected with? Was it what you thought or has it surprised you? The need is, is a tricky thing because the need that we feel, I'm not sure if it's the same need that we saw originally. Uh, we started out um, because we, we met actually on Twitter near the beginning of the pandemic being shut down and everything. And we became fast friends just about sharing memes and stuff in the in the group chat DMs. And then uh, eventually just FaceTime and everybody's shutting the house. We would literally be on FaceTime for hours at a time. You know, got a couple married men in the group. And our wives were like, man, y'all go ahead and get married. Do what you got to do. Um, and then eventually uh, the, the conversations were, were deep, covered a wide range of things because we're all black men who are Christians but didn't come from the same theological traditions. Um, Rob, who y'all have an opportunity to meet later, actually grew up as an intentional atheist. Uh, Sam, like myself, grew up in the black church but then went on in a more reformed tradition before leaving that as well. Uh, and, and then I came up a different way. But what came from that was us deciding uh, that some of these conversations might actually be worth sharing with people. And uh, that th the need we had was just to be authentically ourselves because it's this weird thing that happens when a lot of times in the United States, we think of the word Christian. And even if we're not doing it on purpose, our brain defaults to white. Right. And, and a lot of that is because unlike the three uh, or the, the, the other major Abrahamic faiths or whatever, the boundaries of Christianity are primarily about beliefs, what you say you believe. Um, it's not something, although there are Christian traditions that believe you can be born into it, um, a lot of people, it, it's something that you have to confess. Like, you can't be born into it in the way that you can Judaism or Islam in the same way. And a lot of times, like, that that fact and us not naming that means that we default our understanding of Christianity to a white construct. And then for somebody who's not white but happens to profess the things of Christianity, you're seen as divergent. Right. Like you somehow diverged from the right. No, I confess the same things you do. But the way that I experience the world is fundamentally different. I'm still of a different culture. Than you, right. And because the three of us, the, the, there aren't any idiom idiots among us. Like we're, we're, there's no slouches. We're all uh, seminary educated, arrived in a Ph.D. program. I am a practitioner, a professional practitioner of religion, a theologian in my own right, if you will. Um, but I do not check myself at the door. I bring all of my experience as a black man, as a father and as a husband to, to all of these things. And my beliefs are in dialogue with that. So we have these conversations. We record them we share with people. And there are lots of black people who listen to our podcast. But there are lots of people who are not. In fact, I would say the majority of our audience is not black people. Um, and the fact of the matter is one of the things that technology allows us to do is to meet people that we wouldn't necessarily meet in our everyday lives. So there are people who literally never thought about the fact like, wow, 
a lot of my understanding of Christianity is shaped by the concept or, or, or the reality of being white. And I hadn't even realized that because it's the only reality of it I've experienced. And when you can listen to a conversation of three people who actually know what they're talking about a little bit and how our realities and the way that we experience life interact with our faith, you learn about the richness and the fullness of faith anew. And so I think that's the need that, or one of the needs that, that our, our particular podcast meets. I was really interested, Trey, in uh, some of the one of the reviews of the podcast that caught my eye was this guy. I think he was in his seventies and said he was white and nominally Christian, but he said, "I'm here to learn," and I learned every single episode. I thought that was cool. Also, I think it's Robert who, when he starts off the podcast, said, "This is Robert, the favorite of the three hosts." So I don't know if there's it's it's uh, in, in, insecurity speaks loudly. <laughs> What, what's understood doesn't have to be explained. Just <laughs> Never hear me say anything of the sort because y'all already know. No. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Dr. Usma Joffrey. Usma, would you please? Yeah, so I don't think we need the mics because the room is small enough, but let me know if you can't hear me sometimes. Oh, you do need the mic? Sorry. Is that better? Okay. I don't want to, like, just talk to the mic either. Um, I, we kind of had the same experience that you did early on, I would say, for the first three years of our podcast. The community we intended to build was not the one that gathered. In fact, our greatest fans early on were evangelical men. So kind of like... Wow. <laughs> so what? Yeah, we were so confused. And when they were inviting us onto their podcast, of course, we approached it with that skepticism that all podcasters do. Like, okay, what do they want to do to us? You know, so when we went on our evangelical tour where we went on several podcasts with evangelists and, you know, initially started with men and they, they just kind of passed our names on and we started going on a lot of Christian podcasts uh, within that season. And, you know, we came in, I, I knew that the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up because I thought, oh my gosh, like, what are they going to say and what's going to happen? And we're not going to podcast after this experience. And it turned out to be wonderful. So we got to see in the mirror our own biases, which was really important for us. Super surprising in answer to one of the later questions you have. But um, that was our initial community. We would say overwhelmingly the first year of our podcast was about 90% Christian, non-Muslim, non-Muslim, because we sent out surveys um, informally to find out who's listening to us, why are you here? Um, so they were, you know, in sort of the demographic of our, our same demographic. And as we've seen during the pandemic, during lockdown, finally the Muslims started discovering who we were. There are still plenty of Muslims out there who don't know who the heck we are and why the heck we think we are the ones to take this mic. But it was because nobody else was, you know, and there were topics that we wanted to discuss as two women who were born and raised in this country who have never been accepted as women of this country. Where are you from is usually the first question that we have to answer to people. Um, it's like when I say Texas, people are like, no, where really? And I'm like, okay, Houston, you know? Like, no, you know what I'm asking. Okay, okay, I was born in Chicago, you know? And I think there's, what is that? Aziz Ansari is like my mother's womb. You know, that's his answer. So, um, you know, because we'd been othered so much, we were trying to build this community of other people like us. So um, they eventually started coming. And that was maybe three years into the podcast. And so now we're 50-50, non-Muslim and Muslim, as our uh, surveys have shown. Um, and the demographic is getting younger. So we know that moms, especially, regardless of faith background, regardless of cultural background, we're just an underserved community. If we think about it, there's like 77 million women who are uh, mothers in the United States. About 2 million of those 
um, well, actually it should be like 3% of Americans are Muslim, right? So divide that by half. So there's probably like a million, 1.2 million women in this country who identify as Muslim American moms. And so that's the community we strove to build. We had this accidental audience, which was awesome. But, you know, it's great to see that these younger mothers are coming now and that they're finding a safe place to understand both how to identify as an American and to identify as a Muslim and that there's no, there's not necessarily a contradiction there, which I think that a lot of non-Muslims think there is. Um, but also I know growing up, my parents thought there was. So to be able to... Um, integrate those identities has been really important to us and to help other Muslim American moms do it too. Thank you. You know, uh, so a podcast, at least as far as I know, is not a church. Maybe there are some. But uh, how do you see your show fitting in? The podcast is not a synagogue. It's not a church. It's not a mosque. How do you see it fitting into the broader religious landscape as far as the uh, Usma, as far as the religious part of momming while Muslim? I love the religious part of momming while Muslim because there isn't one. Um, when people come to us, that is in our name, but when people come to us and ask about, you know, like strictly theological questions, what we call Sharia law questions or fiqh questions, which is the creed, um, when they come to us about that, uh, we'll say we're not qualified to do that. We're not here to do that because we grew up in a generation where there was literally two scholars in America who were American Muslim scholars and they were both men and they waxed lots of poetic about how blessed motherhood is and this is how to be like a proper Muslim mother and this is how to raise your children. And we were like, you don't have a vagina. How can you teach us how to be a mother? You have never had a contraction in your life. If you had a period, you would die. So, you know, <laughs> we didn't understand like how, why hasn't this changed? Like now we're mothers and it still hasn't changed. So we needed to hear, yes, we want the religious information. We want that to go out there, but we don't want to be the source. We want to be that moderate, happy place where you know, sometimes you don't feel very godly as a mother. In fact, you don't like your children, you know, and sometimes you're pretty mad at God. So, you know, we didn't want to feel that guilt um, that a lot of moms carry guilt for no reason. You know, it's raining and it's my fault, right? So we wanted to make sure that those moms that are going through the kind of emotional roller coasters of motherhood throughout the seasons of motherhood, they have a safe spot to land and are asking each other the questions and are forcing the conversations that the men don't know how to do, are not aware of, or maybe they don't want the controversy because they're afraid of being called out. You know, that's just kind of our culture. But we also didn't want to be way over here on the people who are giving up on religion and moving on. And it's like, I'm just going to let my kids decide what they want to do. And, you know, we don't do Sunday school and we don't pray five times a day. And it's like, that was too much for us. We want to identify Islam as our primary um, identifier. We want our children to be raised Muslim. We also want them to be safe in America. How can we do that? And how can we make moms feel safe? Let's find a middle ground where you're going to your masjid and you're getting your information from the scholars. You're asking your questions there, but then you're coming and finding out how do you practically apply that in your life at our podcast. And just a little sidebar here. Does your survey tell you if any men are listening? Yes, we ask for gender. Um, and so I think we actually had one person identify as transgender. Um, it might have been our one transgender guest that came on. Um, but yeah, there are, I think, 3% men that are still there. I think it's those evangelical guys still listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Trey, if you, if you would uh, address that. Yeah, I think, um, so the tagline of our podcast, the full name of our podcast is this, three black men, theology, culture, the world around us. 
So there are times where you'll tune into the podcast and we will spend 25 minutes talking about the movie Encanto. That will be the episode. Um, there are other times where we deal with an actual theological issue, um, and, and that's where a lot of the religion pours in in, in in that particular instance because we are people think about these things deeply. That's one of the things that we got started about navigating Christian Twitter or whatever that was. Or, it's weird. It kind of separates. There's a black Twitter and then a Christian Twitter, and there's a weird Christian Twitter, which is really white Christian Twitter, but like we're still, there's a whole lot of intersections going on there. And we have these conversations about these things uh, because at the end of the day, we get kind of excited about God talk and doing the thing, theologizing is what I call it, doing these things because uh, Christianity provides a lot of latitude that some people don't want to pretend to exist. Like, oh, there is a way to believe. I'm like, since when, right? Over 2,000 years, we've had more ways than we can count of, of how to approach this and do these things right. And there are certain things that the three of us won't necessarily agree on. And that's perfectly fine. One of the things that I have holy envy about is that in other faith systems, such as Judaism and Islam, there's the the, the unity of belief, even though like we desire it, there, there's room made for the fact that eh, we're probably not going to agree on this in, in, in the same way that a lot of Christian communities in and of themselves don't really value or strive for. And so one of the things that we aim to do, and because you uh, a moment ago mentioned like, oh, podcasts aren't churches. And there is a sense in which we do treat ours as a church, not like formally we don't have an, uh, a bishop or anything of that nature. But if we take seriously the words of Jesus that were two or three are gathered in my name, I am in the midst. If we look at the etymology of the word church, the ecclesia, the gathering, right? Um, there are times when we will have actual gatherings of people, of listeners, and we'll, we'll hop on Zoom together and have these conversations where we ask people, how are you doing? Is there a way that we can be praying for you? Like, what is, is there a heaviness on your heart that needs to be addressed? Um, because there is room in the thinking of, of, of God and, and who we believe Jesus to be where we need to hear the things that are weighing you down, the things that are standing between you and the wholeness that we believe that God has called you to. The conversations that we have and record and release as this podcast are but a step on the way of, of us moving towards our own wholeness and us trying to open the door to wholeness for other people to walk through. Um, but it's, that's an extension of who we are as people. And so when you talk about like religious communities, what are the things that we can agree on even amidst our, our, our disagreements? If, if we are committed to wholeness in a way, if we believe that that is the primary concern of God, that God is calling people to wholeness, that God is love and love is the commitment to wholeness, meaning that God is the very commitment to wholeness, are the conversations that we have in line with that reality of who God is, can we form communities around that? Communities that acknowledge the reality of our brokenness, of the fact that um, we have questions and insecurities. So insecurities that we will often try to mask with religious proper propositions, uh, masquerading as certainty, which I actually view as the, the enemy of faith, right? Uh, faith is the ability to move in mystery and uncertainty. Can we form a community around that idea? Are we comfortable with, with never coming to a finite answer 
but walking with with arms linked anyway. And in that sense, like I think our, 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 the community that forms around podcasts like these, uh, the, the strength is in oh, oh, can can we celebrate the differences as we strive for something in common? Thank you very much, Adela. So, um, unlike the Three Black Men and Mommying Well Muslim podcast, Americanish was inherently an interfaith podcast. So when we started, we already knew we were coming in with not really knowing much about each other, especially because um, I'm I'm a Sephardic Jew, which is not the usual, especially here in the U.S. You mainly hear about Ashkenazi Judaism, which comes from Europe as opposed to the Middle East and Spain. And uh, Mariam, my co-host, is a Coptic Egyptian Christian. So she's a Middle Eastern Christian. So a lot of the conversations that we had centered around the idea that we weren't the typical Jew or the typical Christian and how even within our own face, we felt othered. So building off of what was said here, um, it's interesting because it's all about that commonality. So Myram and I, obviously, like if we got into a theological argument, I'm sure we could get at each other's throats about which religion is right. That's never, ever, ever been anything that's come up because we found we had so much in common entirely. Um, I, I see Mariam and I see her experience and I see myself. And I think now, especially speaking as, um, I think the youngest speaker at the conference, I'm 26 years old. I'm not that young, but I'm 26. Um, one of the things that we've seen is how technology does change the way people gather. And even though for myself, for example, I am an observant Jew, I'm modern Orthodox. Um, I haven't been able to go to synagogue every week uh, because things come up, right? I, I, I stay at home on Shabbat, but maybe I'm exhausted and I slept through, or maybe I was going to go, but you know something else came up. You don't see young people at synagogue or at church that much. And when you do, it's a little bit weird. But there's still a way, like for example, listening to Trey just now, I felt I was at a sermon and that was wonderful for me. That was great. So if you can package what you get at church and what you get at synagogue and put that in a way that's accessible for the youth, that's the big deal. That's huge. Especially like moms, for example, that's a demographic that might not be able to make it out to, to mosque um, and to services because they're dealing with having three, four or five children. So I think that what podcasting does is no, it's not a church, it's not a synagogue, it's not a mosque, but what it is is it can package these things and open it to a broader audience. So that's, that's one thing I'm really grateful for. And again, I'm really happy to be here. I might just uh, ask a couple of short questions and, and just jump in if one of these strikes you. Is uh, do you have you found here are two or three of them? One, have you found that you reach people in places where there is not religious liberty, and they get back to you? Um, I, I like this whole idea of you've met with Zoom, and I don't know if you've done any in in person or Zoom conversations. I'd be curious to know about that, what you learned from that. And are there any people who, who have come to you and, and say, uh, this is a free speech issue. Like, I don't like what you're saying. You shouldn't be on the, I mean, anyone who puts anything out is going to draw some of that fire. So you're smiling, Guzma, so I, I want to start with you. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is. <laughs> um, so I alluded earlier to, um, our transgender guest, because we did a whole, we, we operate on series. So every month there's like one common theme and all the episodes fall under that theme. All the guests have to do with that theme. So we had a transgender Muslim on and she was beautiful. She was wonderful. She was awesome. I actually had a very conservative Muslim friend come to me and he was like, I heard that episode and it really like, I get it now. And that to me was a success, that like one piece of feedback. But I would say during that month, uh, we were talking about this last night, 
when we first launched our first episode, we, we do Thursday nights, um, we lost 3,000-ish followers in one day. Um, on Instagram, which is not a big deal because so many of them were bots just trying to figure out like who we are and what we're saying. But then we also got a lot of emails from like imams and, you know, um, the shura councils, which are kind of the councils of uh, certain masajid or masjids. Um, I think there was some out of New York and Virginia. And they were like, who do you think you are talking about this? And you're opening the door to sin. And, you know, why are you uh, causing our children to deviate? Because there were a lot of children also emailing us and DMing us from, this is an answer to your second question, from nations where they did not have the freedom to live and practice as they wanted and ask us questions like, will I go to hell because I'm gay? Or how can I talk to this one queer Muslim mom that you had? And just based on those things, you know, we weren't able to tell them, we're like, we can't tell you if you're going to hell or not because that's God's work. But our work is to love you no matter what. That's why we are here. If you don't have a mother who's going to tell you that you are worth living and God loves you and you were created perfectly, then let us tell you that God creates everybody in perfection. We do not believe in original sin in Islam and you were created good and you are good. And if we are able to do that for other people, then we believe that that is enough for us and all of the hate that we get and all of the messages, if you guys want some like entertainment for an hour or so, you can go back to September of, I think it was 2021 and go through some of those comments that were coming up on each episode that month. I love fighting with the trolls. So any of that, you know, back talk is me. Um, so I love fighting with them. And I'm like, I understand God says this. Nobody's arguing what God's saying. What I'm arguing is how we treat people. And if we're only going to talk to people who agree with us, how are we ever going to grow? You know, we need to understand, like at the beginning of the conference, they said, those of us in the majority have an obligation to those in the minority. And even though I'm a religious minority in this country, I know there's subsets and people in minorities are crazy and they divide each other over things that we can't control anyway. Again, more of God's work. So if we're not there to support those minorities within minorities, who will? And those are women and children that we are here to catch and guard and pray together and grow together. Because if anybody says that they believe in God, they are they become our responsibility. That is Zeba and my belief on mommy Muslim. Yeah. Thank you. Please. Uh, so I actually listened to that episode. Oh. I listened to your whole series uh, for that Love one. Love it. Thank you. Uh, I thought it was wonderful. And you even said, like, I, I think in the first episode of the series, you're like, we lost 1,700 followers. Oh. And I was like, wow. Um, and I guess for, for me and Mariam, we had a lot of controversial moments, but one of the biggest ones was during um, the uh, uprising in Iran, a lot of people started talking about force covering. And one thing Mariam and I saw, and, and she had her own experiences with hijab growing up in Egypt. She grew up in a Coptic town where she had to wear the hijab. But we saw that the discourse in America became very anti-modesty. Um, and there's a difference between allowing the choice for modesty and becoming anti-modesty and that was our, our very first run-in where, you know, as two modern building women building lives in New York and our, our whole tagline where we sat down and we started saying, you know, there's, there's a beauty in modesty. I see a beauty in modesty. Uh, it's something I aspire to do. It's, it's something that I think there's a time and place for everything. I'm not going to, you know, cheer on people who are dancing naked in Portland. Like, that's great for you. I think it's indecent. It doesn't matter what your gender is. I, I don't glorify that. And then we started getting a lot of people... Um, both from the right and left, so people from the right are saying, so you're excusing forest covering and hijab. And I was like, I, 
forced. No, I'll get rid of that word. But yes, I'm, I'm promoting hijab among people who want to wear it. Then we had people on the left saying that we were anti-feminist and that we were backwards, right? So we started getting it from both sides. Similar thing happened. For, for, for the most part, our, our following base is very confused um, in that we don't know where everyone aligns politically. All they know is that we're women of faith building modern lives. That's all they know. And then when we talk about something like a traditional family value, like it's sad to me that a lot of people don't want to have children. Um, and Mariam says, well, you know, I'm two-income household and we, we can't afford that. And that makes a lot of sense to me. And we had that open conversation. And then we had people again on the left and right coming at each of us. So um, I think that in the podcasting space, when it comes to the freedom of speech question, you're always going to say things that people don't like. And people who are haters will continue to hate. So maybe you don't want in-person meetings. With oh, your- I'll be happy to have them. But the one thing I learned is that people will always have their opinions. You're usually speaking to people who are open-minded, and those are the ones that you want to, com- not convince, but give them something to think about. But if people are going to hate, haters going to hate, you might as well stand up for yourself. So I am very open to changing my mind about things. But at the same time, I stand firmly behind what I believe in what I said. And if there was something that I said that maybe I shouldn't have said, I'll grow and learn. But I I think that when it comes to podcasting, and if there's anyone here that wants to start a podcast, the biggest fear is, well, what if I get taken out of context? What if I get canceled? Believe me, I've been canceled. It's not that scary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think um, when we deal with technological aspects of of this, because you mentioned the the Zoom meetings and and, um, woman after my own heart, you say you like, getting in with the trolls. One of the things, when I when I entered vocational ministry, the moment, uh, all over social media, my newsletter, everything, I'm, I'm Pastor Trey 05, right? And people are like, oh, they, they can readily identify me as a pastor. And that was, a, that was an accident because that was my handle before I was actually in ministry. There was a rapper named Pastor Troy back, and I'm from Miami. The area code is 305. My name is Trey, so it's Trey 05. And it passed Trey 05. And it just happened that way. And people regularly try me um, and, 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 uh, they told me and not know that before Pastor Trey was Pastor Trey, like, I'm really about that life. Like, I sat around the cafeteria tables just the dozens, we can do this, and I'm better at it than everybody in this room. Um, uh, and, and so it's one of those things where I found myself, uh, sometimes the, the trolls give me an outlet because I do have to restrain myself now as, as an actual vocational. I do have to comport myself a certain way uh, only because there are certain people whose faith could be rattled by seeing a man of faith act in a certain way. Not because I believe it's wrong, just because like I'm, I'm doing this as an act of care. But there are certain times when people do address you in certain ways, in dehumanizing ways. I'm perfectly within my rights to sit there, and I'm very careful not to respond with dehumanization, but I'm pretty quick with it. And and I'll, I will readily let you know that, oh, not only are you not hurting my feelings, like I, I do not take you seriously, and we are all going to laugh right now, in this moment. You're mad, I'm not, right? Um, and, and I bring all of that up to say that somehow digital spaces allow people or encourage people to say things that they would not be comfortable saying in person. Um, they're, they're, uh, I have people talk to me crazy online every single day. It's never happened, and well, it's happened twice in person, a very long time ago. I rectified that situation. Uh, but but it's, 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 it's something that, that, that doesn't happen, and... Um, Digital spaces have the potential to, to bring out the worst in people. But one of the things that podcasts allow us to do is to put out beautiful things in these same digital spaces, right? And so what can 
be this, this, this area where all sorts of ugly things are cultivated and grow, we can actively try to combat that with putting out generative content and, and bringing out awesome, like, community to the point where people want to show up to Zoom things. And there, there are times we literally just open up the floor like, oh, does anybody have anything to say? And people will, will talk about the the struggles that they're having in work. Oh, I got laid off. Oh, I need to move across the country. And we'll all sit there. But there's times somebody told me, oh, look, I just lost my job, rent's due. Oh, we'll get that rectified right now. And we'll, we'll put out a, a GoFundMe or just take up literal cash app donations and make sure that somebody can get groceries. And you can do that digitally. Uh, you ask if we've ever done like an in-person meeting? No, we haven't. This is actually only like right now. This is the second time in the history of the world that Rob, Sam, and I have been in the same place at the same time. Um, there is so much that you can do digitally. And, and a lot of times we think about, oh, when stuff goes back to normal, some stuff's not going back to normal. I've actually had to consult several other churches and organizations and even the, the seminary I went to, I was talking to the faculty about the fact that you need to disabuse yourself of the notion that all of these adjustments we made during the pandemic are temporary. When people recognize that we can do things a certain way, some of these things are here to stay. There is at least one married couple in my church, not like young people, they're older than I am, who met on Tinder, right? They're, they're, they're regular people who are establishing long, meaningful relationships that are initiated online. And the sooner we accept that as a reality and try to maximize that, the, the better we'll be at building communities that are generative instead of just feeding the worst impulses that we have behind the anonymity that online can provide for us. Thank you. Do you have a comment? Uh, on the Zoom portion? Uh you know, Zeba and I have historically always been remote because we're on opposite uh, coasts. So COVID didn't really put a dent in any of our recording, which was nice. Um, but I think at most, it's not uh, really on Zoom that we have our audience members coming back. It's usually through like our email list that we're in contact with them, or we have a pretty active Facebook group. Um, if the gentlemen try to join, I'm also the one who's approving you. So um, there's not very many that will get through. I'm just letting you know. So there's like a lot of women that are on there and a lot of non-Muslim women that are on there too. So there's a lot of how do I talk to my kid about sex? How do I deal with this? And how do I deal with that? So there's, you know, these are coming from the audience members. And I think that kind of, you know, virtual communication is really useful because it's become like an online resource over there. Um and yeah, it's just, it's really enjoyable. And there's so much that you can do. Like you said, the power of virtual spaces. And this was not something that we ever knew how to do yeah. before. So it's just really cool that you can, you can build these things and have these opportunities to do um, so much on podcasting. I wonder, maybe I'll ask one more question. And we'll, uh, I'll open up for questions from the audience. But I'm just curious, uh, how has God surprised you in this? All right, it felt quiet in in in. <laughs> I well, one prayer I consistently pray is that I I don't ever want to lose my capacity to be surprised by the, by the moves of God. Right, um, the doors that have been opened by by uh, these ventures, like this podcast venture and everything, um, it's always surprising me. Right now, me me sitting in this room in Provo, Utah. <laughs> um, like the the moment the moment the moment I think Rob was the last of the three of us to 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 land, and the the, the black population in Utah doubled that day. Uh, <laughs> um, 
that, that's the surprising thing of God for me. And, and I joke about things like this. Like, I went and I spoke in front of two Mennonite congregations in Nebraska a couple of months ago. It's another, so I, I, threw, I threw off all the demographics when I touched down in Gage County. Um, and, and, and these are amazing moments to me because it's not as though, like, yes, I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that I look different than most of the people in this room. I talk a little bit different. I got a twang when I talk. My, my vernacular might be a little bit different. But the fact of the matter is that we have still been able to communicate truths in ways that people across all sorts of life experiences can understand and can resonate with. And that's one of those things, like one of the texts in, in the Christian scripture in, in the book of Acts, there's this miracle where it says that the Holy Spirit descends. And some of y'all know it as the gift of tongues. But what really happens in there is that people are able to speak about the things of God in languages that they hadn't previously known so that everybody who was present can hear about God in their own language. And the thing that surprised me the most about this is just us speaking amongst each other. Like, we've been able to communicate things that people needed to hear. The lessons that people reach out, like, yo, this really stuck out to me. I'm like, really? That? Like, I, 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 that was a throwaway. Like, I, I wasn't even, I didn't even mean that when I said it. But no, it's very true when, when you, what you heard. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that has uh, been the, the biggest God surprise. The, the biggest God surprise in that has been like, whoa had no idea that us doing this could lead to this, to, to these healing spaces, to these generative moments, to people being restored to community and belonging with other people regardless of what, uh, regardless of what they believe. If I can take it. Um, for me, honestly, um, and I, Luzma, you might have had a similar experience, but uh, I grew up in a community. Actually, maybe not. Let me know if you did. Yeah. I grew up in a community where women really didn't go to college. In my grade of 26 girls, only six of us went to college out of state. Some of them went to college in-state. And then after a couple of semesters, they dropped out, had their kids. They never really finished. Um, I was one of two girls to dorm. Um, so when I went to NYU and I dormed and I joined a sorority and I had a radio show with WNYU Radio and I did all those things, that wasn't what Syrian Jews do. So I was always a little bit odd in that. I was the only girl in AP Calculus, only girl in AP Chemistry. Um, the guys were doing that, but the girls just didn't really seem to have an interest, not because of an oppressive community, but because it, it's not really something that was for them. And then I went to NYU, I had my lawsuit, and suddenly I became someone in the community, right? Suddenly they're inviting me to speak at my old high school, at the middle school, about how, you know, she stood in these chairs just like you and look where she made it. And I got a call one day from a, um, my college advisor in high school, and he said, I just want to let you know that one of the girls for her admissions essay, she had to say, write about something that changed her mind and opened her to something, and she wrote about you. And now she's applying to colleges. And that was, that was a big moment for me. And because it's, it's one of those things that when I decided to start the podcast, I already knew I was in the good graces of my community. And I said, I'm about to hop on a podcast where I'm going to only talk about my community. It's an interfaith podcast. We're going to have an episode about grandmas, about superstitions, about dating and marriage pressures, about education. Food and was really food. good. Food. Oh, the food episode is wonderful. <laughs> but I was scared because I thought I'd be airing out a lot of dirty laundry for my own community. And especially when you come from a minority community, and this is where I think that we might have a similar experience, you're afraid that if you talk about places where it can improve, or even talking about how my friends didn't really go to college— Am I giving a bad name to my community? And how will my community receive it? So the way I think God surprised me was by opening my community. Because it gave me a platform. I spoke freely. I was ready for fallout and pushback from my own community, which I got at some episodes. But for the most part, they opened their arms. 
And instead, they would say things like, can you talk about this in an episode? Or, hey, I heard this. Did you consider this other point of view? Can you do a follow-up on that? So I think that the way I've been surprised was, again, that fear of, of being canceled, or, but really the, the fear of betraying my own community that built me up and made me who I am and suddenly talking about them in an open forum. I was surprised by how openly they received me and how now it's open to growth. So again, like the, the messages that we get on our DMs or the messages I got personally on mine are from people who might be on the fringe of the community that might have that hater phase. If, if you come from a religious background, you yeah. know, everyone goes through a hater phase, usually like towards the end of high school. And like their kids in their hater phase and they'll say like, you know, I didn't really love the Syrian community. I saw it as X, Y, Z. And, you know, it's nice that you still like it. And I'm like, well, let me tell you why I still like it, why I love it and why I'm going to continue to advocate for it, even if I understand where it needs to grow. So God really helped me on that one. I think that was my biggest fear in starting a podcast about my own community. And I'm, I'm really glad that they opened their hearts, their minds, and, you know, they continue to keep me in their good graces. Nice. I think professionally I've seen so much that very little actually surprises me. Um, so I'll, I'll say two things. One on what was an external surprise was how truly shocked a lot of non-Muslim women were about the dangers and the threats to our children our Muslim American children that we face every day and, you know, the kind of escape routes that we're always considering and the kind of fights that we have to go fight with school administrations and school boards for our children. So I was like surprised that they had no clue, um, but really, really pleasantly surprised and pleased that we built so many allies as a result. And we have moms that are working for our kids and are like, I just want you to know that if I ever saw anybody attacking your kid, I would step in and I would do something because we were like, why is see something, say something only for people who look like me at the airport? You know, why is it also for somebody whose son is Muslim and being profiled at the airport? You know, um, I think that that's really important. But personally, what surprised me and I feel like God was kind of messaging to me was you're not done with the birthing process, sweetie. Like four kids was not enough. So here's another one. Um, and to your point, like, how do you do it all? You don't. You just make time for the things that matter. And when God puts in your lap a huge project that incites passion you didn't know, that makes you squeeze out every last bit of talent that he gave you, and he did it for a purpose, and it was you still have work to do. You still have babies to create, and you still have babies to protect and to grow, and they're all out there. And this is a lifelong process. I thought once I you know, became a doctor. I was done. Once I got married, I'm done. Once I have kids, I'm done. And I can finally relax. My mom will leave me alone. Well, my mom did, but like God didn't. <laughs> and that is my higher authority. And I have to continue on whatever he puts next in front of me. We don't, I don't know what that is. And, you know, Zeba and I are always surprised by what he next presents to us. This conference is one of them. So, you know, we hope that something beautiful will grow out of it. We don't doubt that it will now because we've learned don't be surprised. But that was my biggest surprise. Like, I'm not done with the birthing process. <laughs> I'd love to take any questions if any of you have for individuals or for the group. Uh, go ahead, Robert. Yeah. Uh, so, Dr. Uzma, I am curious about... You know, you have been podcasting for a few years, and how have you two kept camaraderie going over a couple of years? Yeah. Uh, any tensions? Any <laughs> and I'll just say for those uh, listening on, on tape, Repeat how have you, how over years have you kept camaraderie between the co-hosts? Yeah. Um, we don't have a choice. We are not allowed to never be friends again because our dads were actually immigrants at the same time and were roommates and were really poor roommates with a couple of other guys. 
So um, we are second generation friends. And my dad said, whatever you do, you will not mess up my friendship with her father. So you better make this like, so we're gonna like, we're gonna make you guys kiss and make up. So yeah, you know, through the years we've had turbulence because you know, we're girls and to your point, everybody has a hater phase. I had my religious zealot phase when she didn't. And so we clashed and you know, we just kind of met back because you know, like Zeba says all the time, we have, we are more alike than different. And in the beginning of the podcast, we weren't on the same page. And it's, again, it's a birthing process. You just kind of go through and see how can I make this labor easier? And, you know, essentially we've just uh, figured out where our strengths are and where our passions lie. And, you know, God gives different people different strengths. Her strength is waking up at two in the morning and getting a lot done. Mine is sleeping until noon. So um, we divide and conquer. Like I like to do production editing. I don't like to do social media, but I do it. Um, and she does marketing and all of that other stuff that, you know, I don't want to touch. So I think that's how for sustainability of podcasts, I think if once you figure out like, hey, not everybody is going to care the same amount about the same things. If you can just honor somebody's differences and what their strengths are, then you guys can succeed and there's less turbulence that way. Hmm. Thank you. Any other questions? So I would like to know how being a podcast host, what you do as a host, if it has, and if so, how has it affected your own faith? Somebody else want to take it? I am always sensitive, or I try to be sensitive to the ways that the things that I say will be received by different people, right? And being a podcast host has forced me to move a little bit differently because my day job, I'm, I'm, I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. I work in a Christian context where most of the people there are there voluntarily because we mostly believe the same things and walk in life. And I work in a black church context. So I don't even have to deal with the cultural issues that would come with people in a multicultural uh, church or anything of that nature. Uh, that job is relatively easy for me. I put together sermons and, and things that I need, which, which is fun for me too. I, I, I like all that stuff. That that's easy for me. It's, it's it's my comfort zone. When it comes to podcasting, and I think about first of all, we had to sit down and have a, a hard conversation one day. Like, who is our primary audience? Understanding whoever can listen to it, and then we sat down and we kicked around. Like, okay, well, what about these people? And we're like, uh. and ultimately, we had to decide that we are our primary audience. We started this out of a friendship. So, like. What, what, what do we want to hear? What is going to speak to us? But one of the things that being a podcast host has forced me to do as, as somebody who gets to speak in different settings where, where I'm more in my comfort zone, I have to really think about the things that I'm saying and how I'm trying to communicate them because what seems natural to me in one setting might land completely different outside of that setting. And it's been a very humbling process as I put my life experiences and, and my worldview into its proper place in the world, which is really small and finite, right? Like my my views and my understanding of everything is really limited when I put it on the grand scheme of thing. And and being put in this place, like you mentioned earlier about like, people are, are scared of getting canceled or taken out of context in a podcast. That's something that I'm genuinely very careful about. Not because like there's nothing I could do to stop that from doing, but I do want to be sure like, okay, are they taking it out of context or did I just speak recklessly? And Developing that practice of being a careful communicator has actually made me a better human in the fact that now, like, no, 
even when I'm not, when the mic's not on, like, oh wow, was was that something that I should like? Would I be proud of of that being said in in any context? It's made me a better human, a better friend, a better husband to my wife, a better father. When now I'm thinking about the things that that would naturally come out of my head. How is this going to land with my daughter or my son or my wife or my friend? How is something that I'm that that I meant to be a throwaway? Is that is that going to land with them? Will they receive a different message? And so, like, developing that practice has helped me become a better communicator across the board, I would think. Because when you mentioned uh, that you had your religious zealot phase, <laughs> and I wonder if that's part of this, just how has this affected your faith? If podcasting is my religious zealot, no, zeal, no, or? How, it, just how has it affected your faith, or has it? Um, I think, you know, I think there was an earlier session where it was mentioned that, you know, there's certain religions that are a way of life. And Islam was not mentioned in that one, but I would argue that it is. Um, so every act is an act of worship. We set our intentions and our faces to God for everything that we do. So I feel like the podcast is one of my acts of worship in addition to, I think the most important one is raising my children. Um, and I'm answerable to God for anything that we put out there, which is why I think we're very intentional and very cognizant about the series that we create, the guests that we invite. Um, and we we hope and pray that this will, you know, kind of be a testament to us and will weigh heavy what we believe is that there will be, you know, a judgment day and scales and that this will weigh heavy on our scale of good deeds because our intention is to please God and not to give people a voice because he already— created them all with the voice, but to give them a safe place to exercise it. And, you know, before we start recording, the first thing we say is in the name of God, you know? So I feel like it's just another, um, it's just another exercise of our faith, a very important one that it's become a very important one to us. Um, and so really it is a manifestation of being American Muslims to us. And it just happens to be a medium that we can use to reach more people and hopefully maybe draw them to our faith, whether not to convert anybody, but just the Muslims that are there to tell them there is a way to do this. Um, and then for the non-Muslims that, you know, again, I think in an earlier session, somebody said, we come in peace. Um, so they uh, they have said to us on surveys, we like being a fly on the wall and kind of seeing like, you're just like us, which is not our intention. We don't want to be just like you because we know we're not. You know, we have a completely different lifestyle um, based on our religion, but, you know, we're not scary and, you know, there's no reason to go chasing legislation that says we can't be who we are because, you know, that's going to, in the end, hurt you. So, again, it's it's about uh, building allyship and remaining who we are and worshiping the way that we do. Mm. Sometimes. Um, I think if the question is, how has podcasting influenced my religious faith? Usma said something earlier that resonated with me, which is um, sometimes people would ask, like, well, why— why do you get to have this microphone? And you said, well, no one else took it. Yeah. And that's how I feel a lot of the time, uh, especially since I'm, I was raised modern Orthodox. I don't practice everything, right? And then suddenly I find myself being a mouthpiece for Judaism, right? And, and there's a lot of different ways to practice and a lot of different X, Y, Z. And I went to a school that was much more religious than the way that me and my family practiced, but we were always very respectful of it. So I wore the skirts and I wore this. And um, most of my friends were a little bit on my level, but a little bit higher, a little bit lower. Now it's, it's funny because again, in the DMs, I get people asking me questions about practice. And, and I feel like I don't have an authority really to, to talk there. But if anything, what it makes me feel like the way it's impacted my faith is makes me feel I want to be really well aware. It makes me want to research. It makes me want to make sure that 
I'm not speaking on things I don't have answers to. And if there's answers I could find, let me at least brush up on them before I, I speak. So for example, with our modesty episode, um, Mariam and I, again, we, we were, our first couple of episodes were completely unscripted. And she asked me a question about ultra-Orthodox Judaism about the shaving of the heads for modesty and wearing wigs. And I was raised modern Orthodox, so I, I knew tangentially, but I can't say I really quite knew. And instead of admitting that on the podcast, instead I gave the way that I understood it to be. And that wasn't the right thing to do. It wasn't the right thing to do at all. Um, because then I gave a perception that wasn't exactly correct at all. And, and we actually had some ultra-Orthodox people that I don't know how they found the podcast because we're primarily <laughs> on Instagram, but great, um, that messaged and they're like, you got this wrong. And we did issue a follow-up saying, yes, I did get it wrong. So the way it's impacted my faith is realizing that there's really not that many Jews out there. If you know the, the recent statistic, it's 16 million. Ariana Grande and Selena Gomez, for example, she has um, over 400 million followers on Instagram. That means that if every Jew in the world followed <laughs> one Instagram account, we wouldn't even have like, what, 5% of any of their followings. And that's crazy. And, and, and what that showed me is that whether or not I want it, I'm an ambassador for my faith, especially putting myself out there as a podcaster, which means I have to do a lot more research than I'd hope, um, a lot more research than I expected. Um, but it's a responsibility that I'm happy to take on. And now I'm very happy to admit when I don't know something or when that falls outside of my purview, outside of my scope, or I'll say, honestly, that's an Ashkenazi tradition. I'm not really sure what goes behind that or where it came from. Uh, so it's also like that humbling moment where I don't have the answers. I am a spokesperson, but I'm not the best spokesperson, and I'll admit when I'm not. Time is really short, but I want to just squeeze the sponge as much <laughs> as I can to, because it's what an opportunity to have you three here. Uh, you've just What you've shared has been really meaningful and, and inspiring, actually. I wonder, because we're talking about religious community, if you just real quickly would maybe touch, if you have something to say on the idea of uh, social media has come up. You do a podcast, but then isn't that enough? What is the social media that has to what, surround it? And is that part of making the podcast listeners a community? I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on that. Um, so this is, I think the most important thing about having a podcast is yes, you have to have a podcast. You have to have social media, at least for, for my purposes. If our goal is to reach those people that might be in their hater phase, I don't know about you guys, but when you scroll through Instagram, through TikTok, you're getting reels, right? And a lot of it's garbage. I, I, I don't know if you heard, and I don't know if this is substantiated, I'll be honest, but they say that in China, TikTok, um, has educational videos and it shows kids like orchestras and this, and they aspire to be something and here it shows us garbage. So I think social media is right next to podcasting. I think it's absolutely necessary, not only to build community, but to expand your reach. So um, even though long form content, I love it. I'm more about those one minute clips that are going to pop up on someone's feed because that's going to number one, drive listeners to the full podcast so they can actually hear the full context. But number two, it, it, like you said, it's a way to, in a place that has so much bad, add a little bit of good. And the social media community is where we see most of our engagement. So a lot of people say, oh yeah, I listen to Americanish. They've never heard a full episode. What they do is they listen to the multiple reels that we upload every day. And, and that's a way to take a full podcast and push it out in smaller tidbits. So they consider themselves avid Americanish followers. That doesn't mean that they have to listen to the full 40-minute episode. It means they listen to the clips, share it to their stories, and that's enough for me. That's also where we put like our surveys, like, oh, share your craziest superstition. And we get all these people sharing their superstitions. And it, it really makes them feel like they're engaging with the account as opposed to just tuning in, listening, and then tuning out. So that, that's what I have to say about social media. 
Yeah. I think it's also important to, um, because social media, the, the traditional ones, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and actually to a much lesser degree, Facebook, um, aren't always like, Facebook does have the tools to, to, to actually make community and dialogue happen where the other ones don't. So a lot of times, um, social media is very important as not only a means of promoting a podcast and a touch point to it, but when it comes in, and I don't mean, because there, there are people who make shows like, no, the, the purpose of me producing this is for you to have some content to consume. That That's a perfectly valid way of doing things. But if and when community is a goal, we have to think about really the level to which we want that to be the case. And whether we want like a Facebook community where people can connect with each other, even absent our input, or whether that's on Patreon or whatever. Um, yeah, we, we, we do need to put solid thought into reshaping what community looks like in this digital age for us um, and the, the, the various levels, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I'll be really quick, only just to point out that we're of a very different generation, so we have very different beliefs about social media. Um, and it was a really hard and a very big pill for Zeba and I to swallow because that just wasn't something that we were interested in and didn't want to do and B didn't know how to do. It was like one more piece of tech we needed to learn and it was hard enough. Um, but for marketing purposes, to Trey's point, um, it is important because most of us are creating podcasts not because somebody necessarily asked us to. I know that for you know some, that may be a different case. But for us, we knew and I had, had identified problems that were in the community and issues that were in the community, and we knew nobody was addressing it. So let's create a podcast. But if you're just podcasting, you know, we're just talking to each other and it's going out into space and we don't necessarily know what's going on other than the downloads that are being told to us. But to get to know your listeners better, um, social media is really important. That is where you're going to engage because you can't really engage on based on your downloads. So it has to be um, some kind of social media. I do recommend Instagram because it's free marketing and you can't beat free. You know, I'm super cheap. So if you want to let people know about your podcast so you're not just talking into space, Instagram is a great way to go. And then to build community, I think Facebook, for those of us dinosaurs um, who don't know how to do the TikToks and build community, like on Discord and all these fancy schmancy things that kids are doing these days, Snapchat, I never learned Snapchat either. Um, so we build community on Facebook and then we market through um, Instagram. And that's also where we get a lot of the information out to people that they don't necessarily know or won't necessarily look up anywhere. But it's like if you you have this opportunity in like three seconds to give them something. And, you know, if even one person sees it, then you've taught one person. And again, you know, we're always greedy for deeds on our scale. So that's like one person that's going to help us out in the day of judgment. So good. Thank you, Dr. Smith Joffrey, Pastor Trey Ferguson, and Adela Kohan.